Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. And of course, all your favorite podcast platforms. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. We appreciate you being with us. Lance, how are you? I'm doing very well, John. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I want to remind everybody, if you want to send in questions to the show, just go to www.giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. We'll get to them a little bit later on in the show. And of course, you can always send in your questions to hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. We'll get to some of those questions a little bit later on. But first, uh, the bulk of the show is going to be our next guest because he's just a wealth of information. And frankly, he's one of my favorite guests to have on every year. And that is Brian Broadus. He used to cover the Cowboys for DallasCowboys.com. Now he's an afternoon drive radio host down in Dallas, but he still covers the NFL draft, and he can talk a lot about the connections the Giants don't have with the Cowboys, with Jason Garrett, Mark Colombo, and Cameron Fleming coming to town. Mr. Broadus, you got John Schmoke and Lance Meadow uh, up here in different areas of uh, the tri-state area trying to stay safe. How's everything going down there in Texas for you and your family? Well, doing very well, and thank you so much for uh, always having me on. I know we've done this before at the Combine, but... Uh, it seems I'm now slumming. I'm getting. I'm going lower down the food chain. I was an NFL scout, DallasCowboys.com, and now I'm doing drive afternoon drive radio. So what does that tell you? My career path has uh, has taken a big hit here. But uh, I, Johnny, I missed you at the combine. But uh, it's it's great to be on with you at, at this opportunity. All right, let's get to the brass tacks of this first, and then we'll kind of expand from there. You can include the quarterbacks if you want. Brian, who are the top five guys on your big board in this year's draft class? Well, I'll include – I'll go ahead and put the quarterbacks in there, but just for the, give you an idea of where I'm at here. And I, Chase Young is my number one guy, the edge rusher from Ohio State. I got Joe Burrow, the quarterback from LSU, second. Uh, Jeff Okuda, the, the quarterback from Ohio State, third. Isaiah Simmons, uh, number four from Clemson. And then, you know, I've got uh, – I'm, I'm in that mode right now where Tristan Wilfs, the, uh, Wilfs, the, the uh, tackle from Iowa, would be in my top five is, is how I've got this thing shaped out right now. Now, putting that aside, Brian, just out of curiosity, because even though those are your top five players, it doesn't mean the teams are necessarily going to take them in that order. The Giants are fourth. How likely do you think that – two quarterbacks will be taken, and I'm obviously considering a trade perhaps occurring, before the Giants are set to pick at number four? Yeah, I think that you have to be worried if, you know, that there's a possibility. We, we want to believe that, that Cincinnati will be Cincinnati and they won't do anything. You know, <laughs> I mean, my, my history... My history dealing 13 years of dealing with the Bengals, and every time I called them you know, the day before the draft and was talking to him about, okay, our, you know, this is our lines and this is, we're open. And, you know, and they would always say, well, thank you very much, Brian. You guys have a great draft. We'll talk to you soon, you know, kind of a thing. And, you know, and I always would say, okay, well, the Bengals are a team you never dealt with. They just kind of do their own things and stuff like that. Uh, I, I'm interested to see what's going to happen, uh, you know, at Washington. I'm interested to see what's going to happen at Detroit. Those are two spots and. You know, with, with no general manager at Washington, that's an unknown right now. You know, and that's one of those places where you're going to go, okay, are those picks for sale? Uh, you know, is that pick for sale? Uh, you know, can we get up to that spot? 
I think, you know, you've got a general manager and a head coach at Detroit that are in a little bit of hot water up there, you know, with their situation. You know, I, I mean, if, if you're the Giants and Dave Gettleman, you have to be nervous. You know, if there's a particular guy that you're looking at, you know, and, and you really, you honestly have to be ready for anything in that four hole because, you know, it, it could go a lot of different ways. And, and we talk about the quarterbacks and stuff. You know, if you're Gettleman, you just don't want to get caught in a situation where you, you, you didn't expect a guy to be there, you know. And I would be worried if, for, because of, again, the lack of a general manager at Washington and then a guy at Detroit that's in a situation where he's like thinking, you know, what do I got to lose? This could be somebody else's problem next year. So, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, you can say a couple quarterbacks, you're most likely – going to try and trade up for those quarterbacks but you know stranger things have happened if uh you know somebody gets a a wild hair and wants to do something different yeah i want to get to isaiah simmons you did not mention in your top five but you mentioned Werfs being at the top of your offensive tackle rankings i think that's interesting brian because you know i leaving the combine and knowing that he was coached by kirk Ferentz, i expected to to go watch the tape and be wowed by his technique in addition to his athletic ability. And then I thought he, he did a lot of hugging at tackle. He didn't get his hands inside enough. How did, why do you have him ranked, just out of curiosity, as your top tackle? And, and how do you have those next three guys coming off the board with those kind of consensus top four guys at the position? Well, I, you know what? I, I think this is going to sound crazy. I think the guy's Walter Jones. I really, really do. You know, and, wow. and, and I'm just going back to my old I, – I get the athletic ability – the ease of movement, you know, the way that he plays in position. I, I don't know. I mean, again, he. I just. I remember back in the day when I used to scout Walter Jones, and I'm thinking, God, he moves so easily. Yeah, it's just effortless the way he plays. You know, and I think this guy has that kind of ability to him. And you know, and I, you know, I maybe I'm different than a lot of people. I like to believe that that I have these offensive linemen down pretty well. It's a position I played in college. It's a position I scouted quite a bit, uh, you know, when I was, was involved there. But uh, I, I just like the kid a lot. I, I really, really do. I like the, you know, the, the next group would be Wills from, uh, from Alabama. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of his. There's another guy with athletic ability. I, I, I kind of look at, uh, you know, at Becton from, uh, from uh, Louisville, I, I, he reminds me of Flozell Adams. When I look at the body type of him, it's that massive type of a guy, the ease of movement, you know, with, with him as well. And, you know, I, I just think that someone's going to get a pretty damn good player in, in, in that right there. But then you start talking about the guys down the road there, the, you know, the Austin Jacksons and guys like that. Probably not in the, not in the upper, upper uh, area, though. Uh, Andrew Thomas is another one that could probably be on the fringe of that area. But I like those three guys that I mentioned where, again, the Iowa kid, Alabama, and then the Louisville kid were my my favorite ones. Brian, when you say you like those three, Wirfs, Wills, and Becton, how much flexibility, versatility do you see in either one specifically or all three of them that if you do take them in the draft, they can maybe start off on one side and then progressively move their way either to the left side or maybe even an interior position down the road? Yeah, I think that all three of those guys have that ability. I mean, you could, you could, the, the two, they're all outstanding, in my opinion, outstanding athletes when you look at them, you know, and to me, yeah, you got to have some flexibility. You got to be able to play. I think people are going to look at at 
Beckton would say, oh, he's just, he's just too massive. He's got to be a right tackle only. Heck, you know, I'm watching him play left tackle. I'm watching him play against ACC opponents. You know, doing a pretty good job there. I, you know, I think that if either side you want to put those guys on and start them out with, and if you want to start them on the right side and move them to the left side, I think they got that kind of flexibility as players. All right, how about Isaiah Simmons, Brian? Because I think a lot of people have him in their top five. How how close do you have him to your top five, number one? And then how do you view him as a player? Because to me, he's very interesting. The talent, the athleticism, and all that stuff is undeniable. The versatility, undeniable. But to me, if you don't use him right, you can turn a potentially special player into an ordinary player if you don't use him to his strengths, right? So how do you view him as a scout in terms of you know, where you rank him in this class? And then when you bring him in, how important is it to work with the coaches so you know exactly how you want to use him to take advantage of those strengths? Yeah, no, I think that's really the big key when you're looking at your, your, uh, your scheme you know, how does this guy fit? And the thing you can say to yourself is, well, he fits a lot of different schemes. You know, you can play him as a, an outside linebacker. You can play him as a strong safety. You can play him as a, you know, a guy that can play in the slot. Heck, you could probably even play him at corner if you wanted to. You know, he's just got that kind of rare athletic ability. And, you know, but I think the most important thing for someone to do is when they do get him in, let him play one position. Let yeah. him... Let him focus on one thing and let him get really good at that. And then if you want to come up with some scheme ideas for him, then you surely can do that. And I think that's, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the people that, that see him will say, oh, look at all the things he could do. I would be encouraged to say let's focus on one thing he does really, really well, and then we'll figure out other ways uh, to bring him in. Uh, he's got some rare ability. Uh, the way you know, the physical I, I saw him live I was at the national championship game and I'm watching him play all over the place for Clemson that night and I'm like going god this guy is for real the tape the, the live look everything about him is, is for real so but just if I'm if I'm drafting him I'm finding one spot getting him really good at that spot and then kind of putting a little bit more on his plate once I know he feels comfortable doing every doing the one thing I want him to do. Lance, I want to follow up really quickly on Simmons. Brian, where do you think that spot is? Is it off-ball, weak-side linebacker to run and hit? Is it kind of almost like that, you know, Cam Chancellor, space player, a kind of strong safety hanging out in the middle of the field? Where do you think that spot is that he would be best suited to start off at? Yeah, I think, I think he's the off-ball linebacker myself. I, I, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm going to allow him to run to the football. I'm going to allow him to... You know, put him back, let him see it, let him go. You know, because he is one of those guys, when you watch him close, you watch him finish, he's got a feel for all that. You know, and so, you know, I, I think that there's some people think, well, maybe you could play him at safety. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe that Cam Chancellor, you know, kind of uh, position would be beneficial for him. I just want to get him up front, and I want to get him near the ball, and I want to let him run. <laughs> and that's kind of where I got him uh, pegged for right now. Related to that, Brian, a big part of the conversation when it comes to the draft, especially if you're picking high like the Giants are, are you getting the most in the value of the fourth overall pick if you go to a player that plays linebacker, for example? And as you well know, the linebacker position sometimes is a player that you only use for two downs. Maybe use them for all three, but you're taking them off the field. If you're the Giants and you're picking fourth overall, I guess my big question is, 
you spoke of his versatility. Are you getting enough bang for your buck in your estimation with the fourth overall pick if you went in the direction of a linebacker? Yeah, I think that's the biggest question. But if you're drafting a guy that, say, is going to play as just like a Sam linebacker, you know, as a guy that's going to play on the line. I mean, the thing about this kid is you know, he could actually play in coverage. So you're going to get bang for your buck if you, if he, like you say, he, 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 could, he could rush – you know, he's going to make plays in space. You can put him in coverage if you want to. To me, this guy doesn't come off the field. There's some of these guys that you watch, and, and they come off the field, and you're like going, okay, I'm not going to get the value. What, how many snaps? I mean, Bill Parcells used to say this all the time. When I take you to the game, how many snaps am I going to get from you? You know, this kid, you're going to get a lot of snaps from this kid. So I don't see this as a negative drafting him as you say, oh, well, he's a linebacker. And, again, I want to play him initially and allow him to, to grow, but I'm going to find things for him to do. And, and, again, in the words of Bill Parcells, he's going to play a lot of snaps for me uh, when, when, I, when I have him, when I take him to the game every week. Yeah, because, Brian, honestly, right now, I'm kind of going back and forth a lot in my head. And I think Lance looked at it from a positional value perspective, and I agree. I think his versatility does close the gap there because he can you know, cover one-on-one and do stuff like that. But from a team-building perspective, you just drafted a quarterback in Daniel Jones you want to protect. Right now, right. Right now you have Nick Gates, who's a second-year undrafted player, competing with Cameron Fleming, who's a career swing tackle at right tackle. You have Nick right. Solder, who's 30 years old, and there's only two years left on his contract at left tackle, coming off a season where he didn't play his best football. So if you're the Giants, how do you balance there? Well, maybe if you have Simmons as the higher-graded player, but from a team-building perspective, how much from a, a former scout does that tip the scales for you to maybe look at the tackle instead of looking at the inside versatile linebacker? Well, yeah, it, it absolutely, from the team-building aspect, the first thing I thought about was why are you guys talking to me about Simmons? <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I thought about. I'm like, okay, well, they're on board with a great player. But, yeah, if you look at overall with Dave Gettleman and what, you know, I, I just go back to the great giant teams, and they've always had, you know, big, you know, mauling offensive lines, got, you know, that could protect and they could run the football. I mean, Again, I'm a, I'm a throwback scout to the early 90s when I first started. And, you know, I, I just remember those great teams back in the day. And, you know, I think that, you know, if you're Dave Gettleman, you want to get back to that ability to, yeah, I've got to protect this investment. You know, you've got an outstanding runner, one of the best in the league. You've got a young quarterback. And I admire them last year for biting the bullet and saying, we're going to go forward and get him experience. I, I thought that was a great thing that the Giants did So with the quarterback. And, but now you've got to find ways to protect your investment. You know, one of the reasons why that Dak Prescott was able to play as a fourth-round pick was because the offensive line gave him that ability to do that. You know, with Ron Leary playing at left guard, Tyron Smith at left tackle, Frederick, Martin, you know. I mean, they, 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 that line allowed Dak Prescott to grow. And I think, you know, in this day and age, you've got to find a way. You can't have all first-round guys playing up front. But you got to give your quarterback a chance. And, you know, if I'm the Giants, if I'm Dave Gettleman, if I'm the Scouts, I, I determine who is the best offensive tackle up there, and that's the guy that we need to identify and, and make, uh, make our pick there at four. It's interesting listening to you break down the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm a big proponent of their plan. 
Brian, because you're right. They use so many first-round picks. They invested in the trenches, and then you know you bring in the skill positions. At least those guys can provide you some great return in terms of their production because you're giving them the holes and so forth. But when you look at Dave Gettleman's track record, and I'm curious your perspective being in the front office and knowing the personnel, when you look at what he did in Carolina, he invested in defensive linemen early, waited on offensive linemen, and also you know brought in a guy like Shaq Thompson. That's why I'm thinking of Isaiah Simmons. Shaq Thompson was a late first-round right. pick, but that versatile Brian type of linebacker-slash-safety player that maybe you can fit in in a variety of different spots. How much does the track record of the individual GM swing perhaps the direction of where the team goes, regardless of where maybe the scouting department wants to go? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that Dave Gettleman needs to get back to what, you know, he, what he believes. And then there's, like you say, there's things you could look at Carolina and the, the pick with Trey Turner and all that stuff like that. That might be one of the best picks that he's made. I mean, you know, we, we talk about McCaffrey and stuff like that, but still, I, I you know, if I'm if I'm Dave Gilman, I go back. If I just walk in the halls there, I'm sure he the history will tell you, hey, you know, take this guy. I mean, Gettleman, what you need to do is, you know, you need to make this pick, and if it's the offensive tackle or it's Simmons, you, you make the offensive tackle pick, and that sets you up, you know, because I don't think there's anybody, I don't think there's anybody in this draft that's going to look at this and go. Man, he took a bad player there. Boy, that was a reach. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. going to take the best offensive tackle off the board if he and and, and everybody's going to go. All right, man. That, but you know, it, it, we'll see. We'll see who has. I mean, again, these picks are like ice cream. Everybody's got different flavors they like. <laughs> but you know, there's a good chance of that the one position that you could look at in the first round and say, there's 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 outstanding players, at, and, and it's that offensive tackle spot. You got to get your draft started off the right direction, and then work it from there. And I, I think he goes out the first night, and they grab one of those. They grab one of the best offensive tackle. That's going to be a step in the right direction. But if he takes Simmons, you know, people are going to say too. Well, he took the best player on the board. You know, I mean, he really did because Simmons. There's a lot of people that absolutely. Or I've talked to. I I talked to ten scouts today. Pulled ten scouts, and like, and, and four of them had Simmons as their best player. Ten scouts, four wow. of them were wow. Simmons was the best player. So that tells you what, what the, the people around the league think about this guy. Well, Brian, this is my final question on the offensive lineman, I promise. Let's say they do go Simmons in round one, right? What's okay. your confidence level if they want to go offensive tackle at 36th overall? Are they going to be able to find somebody that can plug and play, or is this going to be a project? And, and frankly, who do you think is going to be left on the board when they get to 36? Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be the problem because what's going to happen is that people are going to – People, you know, could they – this is where you might look at a guy like Ezra Cleveland from Boise, and I, it might not be the absolute, you know, wow kind of name because I think a guy like Austin Jackson, I think that, I think he'll probably be gone. He's probably the last of the first-round offensive tackles, I would say. So then now you're getting into that, that group, again, like I was talking about, of Ezra Cleveland. You know, maybe he would be a possibility there. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's kind of a, it, that. That's kind of where I would I would say right now. That's where my focus would be. Brian, real quick, those, do you, do you think there's any chance Josh Jones gets there to 36 or no? Yeah, you know, I don't think so. No, I don't either. think so. I think I think he goes to the top of that. That's why I was kind of like going. Maybe you would. Have, I mean, Jones might go the might be the last pick. You know, or maybe you know 30, 31, 30, somewhere right around there. 
and that's why I kind of eliminated him. But that's why I also thought about about Cleveland being a, a possibility there. Again, people might yeah, – I mentioned Austin Jackson. You know, People might say Jones is better than Jackson. I don't have it that way. I have it flipped. But I, I think that if, you know, if somehow, some way, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jackson or Cleveland gets to you, I, I don't think those, those, are, those are bad picks. Well, since we're talking about the trenches, Brian, I just want to switch gears to the defensive side of the ball because if at least we evaluate the Giants' needs, you could certainly make the case that they want to try to beef up the pass rush and maybe get somebody that could consistently get after the quarterback. If they choose not to go in that direction with the fourth overall pick, and you can maybe even argue there may not be somebody that warrants at that position the fourth overall pick, when you look at high in the second round, who do you think perhaps could be there that could help fill the void and solve some of their issues from last season in terms of getting after the quarterback as an edge type of guy. Yeah, that's going to be, if you're talking about second-round guys, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't think this draft particularly is great when it comes to really those edge rushers. You know, I, I think that there's some guys, I mean, I've got some, I got some left ends on my board. You know, the Gross Matos kid I think is really kind of a left end. Uh, you know, Epinesa from Iowa. Uh, you know, I think he's kind of a, a left-end type of a guy. When you start talking about the right-end kind of a guy, I, I, you know, I'm interested to see where, where this Zach Braun goes. Well, I'm, I'm interested to see where, it, where he fits in. Yeah. Is he going to be a late one or an early two? You know, somebody, somebody could say, okay, you know, this guy's not T.J. Watt, but he's got, he's got some pass rush skill to him. You know, he makes plays. I didn't think there, there were some times that he was able to be able to get to the ball, and he got there, you know. So where does, where does he fit on people's boards? Could he be a guy that somebody takes in the late one? Could he somehow slip into the second round? I don't think he's going to go too far down the list, though. Uh, you know, another guy, the, the, the Josh Yuchi from Michigan, might be a little rich right there. But like I said, you're kind of running out of guys that can really, really rush the passer at that point in time. So I, I mean, I'd be interested to see where that Wisconsin kid actually ends up. Yeah, I gotta, when it comes to Bonds, I think he's interesting, Brian, because he checks the boxes athletically. But when you watch him at Wisconsin, you know, he was a three down on the end of the line of scrimmage, rushing the passer every down guy. But he's only 230 pounds, right? So yeah, about yeah, two. But he's like he was playing at 227. And now you got him like at two thirty-eight, maybe you know that kind of stuff. But the guy's got—I mean, Johnny—he's got some skill. No, he's he got, does. He, he is relentless. His—you know—he's got some really good technique. He, I mean, he gets to the ball. He, he's not a one-trick pony when it comes to rushing the passer. I—you know—there's people like I say there. I know one thing here in the Dallas market. We've talked about—we uh, have a thing, Jeff Cavanaugh, who I work with. We call him Captain Trade Down because <laughs> Jeff is always like. You know, if I if I don't get my guy, I'm getting, I'm trying to get out of there. You know, and and we're even talking about, you know, could the last tackle be there at 17 to one of those quarterbacks? You know, who are you going to bail for? I know this is a Giants program, but teams that come up, who you know, who are you going down? What spot are you going to? And we've talked about him at like at 27, 28, 29. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, I think so, the, the interesting thing on him, Brian, I know on third down, you want him rushing the pass rush. I agree. I thought his oh, pass absolutely. rush moves were excellent yeah. in Wisconsin. But on first yeah. and second down, can you see him as almost like a Mo in a 3-4? Do you see him as a guy that'll set the edge? Is he strong enough uh, against yeah, the no, run? There, what do you there, think? There is. No, he's got he, – you know, he does have he does have some power to him. I, and, I was, and I was surprised by that because 
I'm watching the Ohio State games. I mean, he played them during the regular season. I'm watching them on the in the championship games. You know, I'm watching against some of these teams that have you know bigger those Big Ten type of offensive linemen, and he was fine. I mean, he was holding up. Another thing about him, he's not going to let you get his hands. I mean, he's not going to let a blocker get his hands on him. That's his. That's his kind of his. I think one of his better traits is he's got some slipperiness to him. You know, when it comes to having to move and avoid and stuff like that. So, I, I think he can figure some things out. I, I you know, I'm, I'm not betting against this kid, but you're asking me, who's the second round, a top of the second round pass rusher? And now we're talking about a kid from Wisconsin that we have questions about, but. You know, he might be the best, the best option, the best opportunity there. Sure. Depending on what happens with what, if you like, with Gross Matos from Penn State, you know, Epinesa from Iowa, where you think those guys are going to go. Brian, on the subject of questions, I'm very curious your perspective, and this is more of a big picture type of thing, not necessarily Giants related. The fact that pro days have been canceled, the fact yeah. that this draft setup, as you well know, is going to be extremely unique. How much does that change the mindset when you're evaluating players in terms of the risks you're willing to take? You don't have the option to look at the medical records. You don't have the face-to-face meetings. Does that mean, Brian, that a kid who took part in the Senior Bowl, the combine numbers, does that now give somebody an edge more weight, or does it not, in your opinion, change the discussion much? I'm not going to lie to you, boys. I would love to draft in this draft with the way it is right now. It's a scout's draft, right? <laughs> it's a scout's draft. I mean, Johnny, we would have some fun. Lance, we'd have some fun in this draft. you know, <laughs> Because what we would do is we would sit there and we would look at our board and we would evaluate these players and we'd put those tags up on the, on the board because of the tape we saw. You know, I don't need a doc. I mean, as important as doctors are, you know, Dr. Warren and all, I, I, as important as those guys are, you know, and I love them, but this is a draft that's really about how you see those players play on tape. You know, if you, you know, if a guy, if, a, if I'll give you an example, the, the kid, the Mississippi State, the Mississippi State corner that didn't run worth a damn at the, at the, at the, at the combine. Yeah, Dantzler. Uh, Dantzler. Dantzler. Okay. I, I, I'm saying, everybody's like going, oh, Dantzler. Oh, God, you can't take a 4-6 corner. How do you, <laughs> I'm like, watch him play against LSU. Watch him play against Alabama. And you tell me that's a 4-6 guy. I could have gone to I could have gone to Starkville, Mississippi, and got him running faster than four six if you really wanted me to. I, I really could have. I could have I could have timed him at thirty eight yards if you wanted me to. You know, I'll get his time down. But if I watch the tape and watch him line up against quality receivers and make plays, who all these guys were talking about, all these LSU receivers, ah, oh, first round grades and Alabama first round grades, and he's covering those guys. Oh, okay. All right, but this draft would be a blast because, you know what, it's just about the film. It's about sitting down and just grinding this thing out and saying, put on another game, put on another game, put on another game. And now your board is probably as pure as it's going to be. It reminds me of the days when we were in Green Bay when I scouted with Ron Wolf and John Dorsey and John Snyder and Scott McLuhan and all these guys that are now general managers around the league, you know, that was just before the combine. We used to sit down and put our board up, and it was just watching tape. We didn't know any of the combine numbers. We were just – and I used, to, I used to say – I used to take a picture of that board because that was the purest our board was going to be because it was really about just watching the tape. And that's what made the drafts fun when they had them that way. 
As, now we got too much analytics. I'm yeah. getting killed by analytics guys. I'm 56 <laughs> years old. I'm getting killed by analytics guys in my old crusty scout ways now. Well, you know, Brian, it's funny you speak about being, you know, 56, old and crusty. Well, a bunch of these guys in the league now are going to have to use a lot of technology on draft night. Oh, as, as, someone, yeah. as someone that's been in these draft rooms, yeah. when phones are ringing, you're trying to get a consensus, the guy you just right. wanted got picked ahead of you, how do you think this is all going to go? Do you have any idea to even, like, fathom yeah. how this will be? Yeah, let me tell you how it is going to go, boys. This is going to be one of those deals where – you know, if you want to trade with somebody, you can't do it on the clock. Right. You have got to initiate trades or talk about trades maybe, maybe anywhere between six to eight spots from the time that team is going to pick. You have got to give teams the opportunity to evaluate your trade and your offer because the way that technology is going to work, and it's going to be interesting to see how teams do it, but if I'm calling Dave Gettleman for my team, I am not calling Dave Gettleman on the clock. I am calling Dave Gettleman when he has an opportunity to think about this and be able to execute it. A lot of teams are going to get caught because – and I, I sat in a war room with Jerry Jones, and he had Frank Gilliam in Minnesota on one phone in his ear and, and, and then uh, Carl Peterson from Kansas City on the other. And he was playing them back and forth is what he was doing. <laughs> He's like, okay, this, okay, thanks, Carl. Okay, hey, uh, yeah, this is what, uh, this is what I want to do at Minnesota. This is what I want to do at Kansas. This is what I do. And then finally, he let the thing play out. I don't think you could do that this time around. I think you have to give teams the opportunity to evaluate your trade, and in that way, you can be able to kind of get everybody, let everybody execute the trade. But more importantly, you execute the trade on your end to where you get the guy you want. I think that's going to be real important. If you're going to try and make things on the clock, I think you're going to have a hard time doing that. Getting back to the draft class overall, there's a lot made out of the wide receiver group, Brian, that this is going to be a record-setting group, that we're going to see so many guys go in terms of the first three rounds that are all considered yeah. starters. And it's possible the Giants may look to add some depth at that position. What do you make out of the wide receiver group in terms of maybe – being able to be patient more so than in previous years because you could get great value in the later rounds. Yeah, that's, that's the key word right there. How patient are you willing to be? I think the run is going to start at 11 with the Jets. And then we could see 11, 12, 13, depending on what, the, what our Vegas Raiders do. You know, I mean, but I, I think there's going to be a run. Those top guys are going to be uh, gone in the middle of that board. And so now – are you going to be patient enough? Are you going to say, listen, hey, you know, if the Cowboys are looking for a slot receiver, you know, does Duvernay make sense? You know, does my, my kid Porsche uh, from SMU make sense? You know, I think people are going to be a, a little bit more like, listen, we, we can wait on a wide receiver if we have to. You know, I mean, the top ones are going to go because of the top ones. Now we get into the second and third round, and, you know, the, the Iukes from Arizona State, you know, Chenault, where are these guys going to go? I mean, do you want a big-body guy? you want a shifty guy, the, 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 the Hamler kid from Penn State? you want that guy? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. So they come into all shapes and sizes, but are you willing to be patient enough to say, okay, there's enough of, a guy, there's enough of the kind of guys I like that I can maybe wait to get back around and I could get the same player? But right now I could go draft me – you know, I need a defensive tackle, I need a, a linebacker, I need a corner, I need something else. So 
I think that's the great luxury that teams are going to have, that they're going to feel like that they could get value uh, you know, at, at all points in time and, and at, at that wide receiver spot going all the way down in the fifth round. One more follow-up on the wide receiver, and this will be my last draft question for you here, Brian. Your feelings on the bigger wide receivers in this class? I know you mentioned Dallas might be looking for a slot. Well, the Giants, if yeah. they're looking to add somebody, would probably be looking to add one of those 6'3", 6'4", guys. So how do you view that group if you don't go there at 36? Because I just don't think – I think the Giants have too many needs to maybe do that, even though the best player on the board might be a T. Higgins or a Denzel Mims or, you know, somebody like that. End of the third round when the Giants have that compensatory pick around 99 – which one of those kind of big-bodied wide receivers you think might still be around that might be worth a look at that spot? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I'm thinking about. I'm not. I'm. You know, if you, we'll see what. Okay, I'll give you guys. South Carolina has a kid named Brian Edwards. You know, and and I don't know how much you guys have studied Brian Edwards yet. From South uh, Carolina. A lot of screen passes. A lot of screen passes on that tape. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, here I am, Johnny. I'm trying to give you a big receiver, and you're, you're killing me with screen passes. Right That's what you're doing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't need you to talk about screen pass. I need you to tell me. I tell you, I watched him last. I was watching a kid. Who was I watching? I was watching South Carolina play Missouri. Missouri has a corner, uh, AC, I think is his name. Uh, and so I'm watching that, and like Brian Edwards catches like a seven yard pass across the middle. And the next thing I know, it's like an it's like a seventy yard touchdown mm. because he's just banging through all these guys. But yeah, I you know I think that to me he would be a guy. I'll give you another guy, and he's not really the big body guy, but he might be a guy that could that could play a lot of position. Is the Van Jefferson kid from Florida? He's a hell of a route runner, man. Whew. Okay. Well, oh, I'm glad I found a guy for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, but Brian, you know. You and I would have hell working with each other talking about this receiver. But, you know, I think that that's a guy that you could kind of – you could talk about him a little bit in that in that, in that that mold because I, I do think he could play a bunch of different spots for you. I think he could play the slot well. I think he could play on the outside. The route running is really good. The hands – you know, you talk about his, uh, you know, his dad being a coach, you know, growing up around it, you know, a pro's pro kind of a guy. You know, I, I kind of like him and, you know – Maybe maybe he'll stretch to you there. Maybe that's one that'll stretch to you. But if you're talking about big body guys and stuff like that, and that and that kind of that mode, I, I'm thinking my guy from uh, from uh, South Carolina, Brian Edwards, might be a guy. Even though you don't like him, I'll tell you what, Jay. Someone's going to draft him, and he's, you're going to have to play against that guy. And every time you see him make a play, I want you to lean over to Lance and tell Lance. I didn't like that guy. I'm just telling you right now. No, I didn't see, like that. Here's the thing. The funny thing about Edwards is that because of the offense, it you just have to be able to project his athleticism and size and how it would fit in a more pro style offense, you know? He is an he is a big SOB. No, he is. Top. Give me that. I, in the third round, give me that guy. That's I'll take fair. Him. That's fair. Yeah. Well, Brian, just so you know, I support any wide receiver you have faith in, <laughs> regardless of what John thinks. <laughs> Yeah, don't, don't let John – see, John can influence you in a bad way. He's been scarred, oh, absolutely, you know? and I can speak yeah, from experience yeah. in that department. It's, 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 yeah, exactly. When you do this long enough, you know, all these – all the misses come back. I don't – hey, everybody will say, oh, hey, Brian, you, you really did like Patrick Mahomes. And then I can name five other guys that I hated, you know, that are playing <laughs> in this league. So, yeah, or I was wrong about. So, yeah, just uh, – if you do this long enough, you'll have your, your share of those for sure. 
want to switch gears to another connection that you have in terms of the Dallas Cowboys. And, yeah. Brian, as you well know, you look at the Giants coaching staff, it's the who's who of Dallas, it seems, with Jason yeah. Garrett and, and Mark Colombo, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. I think what a lot of people are trying to figure out, Brian, is – what is this offense going to look like now that Jason Garrett is returning to a play caller as opposed to from 2011 on, he was obviously right. the head coach. What do you anticipate from what you saw going back to, what, 07 you'd have to go back to when he was the offensive coordinator before right. then Scott Linehan came into play and then, of course, Kellen Moore. In terms of the characteristics that the Giants offense you think could take on now that Garrett is solely back to a play caller. Yeah, I think that to me, and, and he's always going to go back to his days, and, and these coaches are products of their environment and products of what they grew up in. And he's a guy that very much was influenced by Norv Turner. And so if you go back and maybe, you know, Norv, when he went back to Carolina, called a different style of game, you know, because of Cam Newton stuff. So you can, really can't say, well, if you go back and, Watch that, and you'll get some kind of a glimpse of what's going on. But I think what Jason Garrett wants to do, you're going to get, you know, I, I the things I questioned was, were you doing enough of, you know, with work with the uh, with bunch formations, uh, with twins, with you know, with the tight ends involved, you know, with Garrett, you know, it, it was the timing based stuff. It was the the slants were big, uh, the the deep ends, the crossing routes. The tight end gets involved a lot. I mean, you guys, you, you got a tight end that can catch. It's a mismatched player, yeah. you know. Yeah. But you get, you get, like you say, you get the big body guys. You go out and you get a big body receiver, and all of a sudden you're hitting the bang eight, what he calls it, those slants. And, you know, you're, you're trying to get the ball inside. He's trying to make the easiest throws for the quarterback. I mean, you go back to the days when, okay, when I was with the Packers, we were playing the Cowboys and, Every year, and it was like Aikman. It was the accuracy in those inside routes. We couldn't stop them, and they're using Novacek. They're running the ball. You know, he needs to get he needs to get Saquon more involved. I mean, Saquon's already catching the ball, but yeah, I think you're gonna you think you're gonna see the ball going inside. You know, those inside breaking routes. We go back to Des Bryant running the routes, Michael Irvin running those routes. It was always a big body guy taking them inside tight end work in the middle of the field, and then the tight end also working in the flat area and then trying to get the, the screen package going. Uh, I think those are the kinds of things you're going to see from his offense. All right, how about Mark Colombo and Cameron Fleming? First, Colombo, I think he took over midseason 2018, if, yes. if, if, if I recall. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think there was an uptick in performance. So just your take on what he brings as a coach. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him in the airport coming back from the combine, and boy, he is a – Physically and just intimidating, dude. And I got to imagine, I have, yeah, 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 you think. And I think that's <laughs> something that probably will play very well as a former player in that offensive line room. Did he have on his Ben Hogan hat, like his newspaper boy hat? Did no, he, have on his, no? <laughs> he, he did not. No, <laughs> he, he, he can put that on and look at you pretty intently too, like he's like a a mobster from back in the day. You know, one of those guys from Voorhees or something like that. But anyway, <laughs> you know. He's, I'll tell you, Mark did a great job because Paul Alexander was a disaster, okay? Paul Alexander came in and tried to completely flip the scheme, high hand, low hand, push the guy, do this, do that. You know, Zach Martin, uh, Travis Frederick, those guys, they all tried. They tried, but they weren't the same blockers. And what Mark did was Mark was smart enough to say, okay, 
you know, I'm going to go back and do and teach these guys. Bill Callahan did a great job with these guys. And then Mark picked up on that. Paul Alexander <clears throat> did, did a poor job with that. And then now Mark comes in, he does a great job. Mark is a really detailed-minded coach. When you watch him, when all this passes, when we get to watch training camp practices, you're going to see a guy work really, really hard on technique, really work hard on the footwork, work really hard on the hands, make sure the hands, the punch, all that stuff's together. You're going to see him coach. He coaches very hard. The, the players respond to him. They have to, you got to trust. Offensive linemen are great. Offensive linemen will take hard coaching. They, as long as they don't buy in, as long as you know you have their best interest in heart, and Mark is one of those guys that did a great job of, of being that guy and, and, and buying the players' trust. They knew that he was one of them. Uh, he went back to a lot of the old technique, and the offensive line played better from it. Giants hired a really good one uh, with that guy, for sure. And they also brought in Cameron Fleming, Brian, who you saw over the last two seasons as a backup for the Cowboys. Where do you see his upside? I mean, clearly, as John referenced earlier, he and Nick Gates are options for the starting right tackle job. He's got experience on both sides. But, you know, can you see him solidifying himself as the starter at the right tackle position for the Giants, especially the fact that he at least knows the scheme being with Garrett as well as Colombo? When he was with the Cowboys as a swing tackle and a backup, and you know he had to play here and there. I, I think you know there was a game where Tyron Smith doesn't play. He did a pretty good job. It, you know, then he comes in another game. But the more he had to play, the more things broke down for him. The harder it was for him. I just don't feel like though he's consistent enough. Mark will work with him. Mark will do all he, he can to help the guy. I think that he can play to a certain point and to a certain level. Brian, I'm sure you guys have talked about this down in Dallas because the Cowboys and Giants are in identical situations this offseason with new coaching staffs. And this will probably not look. Realistically, if we see the players at the start of training camp in July, I think we're all going to be happy about that. Who knows? Yeah, we will. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully we will. Um, but this whole offseason, these OTAs and everything's virtual. Guys can't actually rep stuff on the field and practice. I know there's no pads, but you still want to, you know, teach on the field. Right. How do you think, how big of a disadvantage will this be? I'm sure the Eagles are licking their chops right now for yeah. the Cowboys, Giants, and the Redskins. All three other teams in the NFC East having to install these new programs and new schemes on both sides of the ball without getting the guys on the field until the end of July. Well, for nine years here, we had the consistency of the Jason Garrett administration. And so you were like, okay, everything will be fine. And now, you know, you move on, like you said, changing some coaching staffs. In the Giants' case, you know, the Giants have now had to do it a couple of different times. You know, and, and that part I feel bad for the Giants because I have a ton of respect for that organization, you know, and they're, and they're the model of consistency when it comes to, you know, the coaches and stuff like that and the history and, and, and you know, allowing the, the guys to do with their job. But, I, yeah, this is tough. This is tough on all the staffs because, yeah, you know, you want to be able to get on the field. You want to be able to get your guys. I mean, heck, you know, Byron Jones you know, last year, I mean, when they were talking about moving him to corner, it was like, you know, it was Chris Richard grabbed him and said, come on, you and I are going on the field and we're going to go work on this. You know, and, and then it, they did that, and, it, and the transition was good. And, you know, the fact that these coaches don't get to do that, it's a huge disadvantage because – Again, this is when you kind of, when these OTAs and mini camps, yeah, you, you can make a judgments and evaluations and all that, but it's about the teaching. It's about, you know, being able to set things up to where when you get to training camp, you know, the players now feel comfortable that, oh, I see, yeah, this is what we talked about during OTAs and mini camps. You know, make the mistakes then. 
don't make the mistakes in training camp when you're trying to make the team. You know, that's, that's the problems that, that these coaches with new staffs are, 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 and, and, and not being able to coach the way they need to, uh, they're, they're going to have to face. Well, and related, Brian, to the uncertainty and a lot of changes, because even though we're focusing on the Giants, the Giants obviously are paying attention to what's happening in the rest of the division. I would think one of the most notable changes for Dallas, speaking of the offensive line, which we've been focusing on, is Travis Frederick's retiring, which may have not been stunning news because, as you know, Brian, he did miss the 2018 season because of the autoimmune disease. And Joe Looney started in place of him. And that year they won the division, and Zeke had a very good year. I'm curious, is it that much of a drop-off, even though they've got a new coaching staff? The fact that Looney's had experience, and I'm assuming he probably will win the starting job, though maybe they go in a different direction with Connor McGovern, yeah. but yeah. could could that make the Cowboys feel that they're in better shape by losing such a Pro Bowl type of player? Well, you got to give Joe Looney a lot of credit because even before we knew about uh, Travis's illness, Joe Looney came in in probably the best shape of his life. I mean, you know, Joe Looney before that was a guy that was down at the Improv. You know, come see Joe Looney at the uh, <laughs> at nine and eleven at one the night at the Improv. You know, that's what Jumbo Joe was. He was a fun loving. You know, still he's still that kind of guy. But he he made a commitment. He came in in, in great shape. And all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, wait, he has to play? And you were like going, okay, this could be a huge liability. Well, he wasn't a huge liability. But, you know, Travis Frederick, the communication and all those things that centers are known for, what they have to do, Travis is rare. And Travis had rare ability. The thing that Travis has hurt Travis is that he realized that it was so hard for him to get back to that level that he once was. You know, he just, this, this, this illness physically took it out of him. And so he realized, he goes, I'm not going to play at that level. I don't want to be, I don't want to play. It's just too hard. But Joe, yeah, I, I think that Joe realizes now that, you know, hey, at least I got 16 games or well, actually 17 games, 18 games. He played two playoff games yeah. under his belt. So, you know, he knows that. But the name you mentioned, Connor McGovern, that's the one I think, this is the one that the Cowboys, this was one of those, oh, let's take the best player on our board bit. You know, we got a second-round grade on a guy that we grab in the third round. They might have just, by that stroke of taking the best player on their board last year, might have got them their starting center. Wow. You know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's, you know, but the, the sad thing was he had a pec injury, got no snaps, got no practice, so he's basically a rookie going out there right now. But uh, that seems to be the route that they might go. But Joe Looney is a veteran guy and you know he, he, he uh, you know he's he's been able to play but we'll see how it all plays out at the end. Brian, final question for me, what do you expect from the Cowboys? We have to do a mock draft here on Friday so I'm 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 trying to get some intel for us so we pick the Can right guys trade? here. Uh, no, this this week, no. We're going to do another one next Friday. That one, I think I'm going to allow people to trade. So Okay, make sure you have a, dra- a draft where you can trade around a little bit cuz that you know that gives you some realistic feel to it. I think it's cool to make people think that way. I think that they're going to take whatever player the Atlanta Falcons don't take ahead of them. Explain. You know, the, Falcons are, the Falcons are kind of in that mode of, okay, they're going to take Henderson, the corner from Florida, or could they take Chason from LSU? And, you know, which, which way could they go there? Now, if both of those guys are gone, that means one of those, probably one of those defensive tackles is coming down the board to them. So, but I think if, I, if Chason was there, I think they would take him. If Henderson was there, I think they would take him. 
And I know that doesn't help you very much, but it just kind of do the that opposite works. of whatever Atlanta does. <laughs> you know, that yeah. works. And, and, and then you think wide receiver second round? I think that they're probably going. They they could hit this thing. They could go defense, defense, and then probably look at that wide receiver. Mm. At the, at, I think more of a third round wide receiver right now. Brian, great stuff, my friend. I know we took you longer than I even expected, but the conversation was great. Hope we didn't kill you with the time. We really appreciate it, my friend. I missed you at the Combine, and hope we have a chance to catch up soon and chat. All right, pal? Thanks, Brian. Boys, th- yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. And you guys, hey, I know you guys are in the center of all that up there, and trust me, there's some Texans down here that are thinking about you guys. Be safe, and uh, we'll see when we uh, – we'll get you on the other side of this, okay? Absolutely, Brian. We well, appreciate Brian. it, and uh, hopefully right. we, can, uh, we can flatten that curve and you guys don't have to deal with down there with, uh, with what we're dealing up here right now. So stay safe, we my friend. Thank you. Guys. Be safe. We love you guys a lot. Take care. Thanks, you too, Brian. pal. That's too. Brian Broadus. Um, he's afternoon drive host now down there in Dallas. I want to make sure I get the credentials right on 105.3 The Fan. He's on G-Bag Nation from 2 to 7 p.m. Central Time. So make sure you check out Brian. He does a wonderful job on the show. Um, And again, he used to be with DallasCowboys.com, former NFL scout, uh, Super Bowl champion, all those things. So great insight for him as always. Always does a wonderful job, Lance. Yeah, it was great to be able to go around the league, essentially, and hit on so many different subjects, as well as get a breakdown of the draft. And, you know, even when he went into his own personal experience, John, because, you know, you just gave uh, an inkling of his background, you know, he was talking about being in the Packers draft room, and just think about all of the executives that he named that went on to become general managers of their own. I mean, John Schneider's still in Seattle, John Dorsey was in Kansas City, then he was in Cleveland, so... You look at Scott McLuhan is another guy who ran the Redskins for a few seasons. I mean, the minds that he's been around and been exposed to also being with the Cowboys and Jerry Jones, a wealth of knowledge that he just provided us. And we went nearly 50 some odd minutes, according to my account with yep. him. Yeah, we did. And by the way, Bill Parcells in Dallas, too. There we go. So yeah. another giant connection there. All right, Lance, um, I had some questions ready. Uh, maybe we can do a couple of them quick. I feel like we did so much draft talk, though. So anything you want to touch on uh, before we wrap up the show? I, I, I thought maybe we might do the all-decade team, but we definitely don't have time for that. Do you want me to kind of roll up a couple quick questions here and uh, try to get them out of the way real fast? Sure, absolutely. Okay, here we go. I did not touch the the mail questions in the, um, in the document. We can save those for another day. I did have a couple on Twitter that I wanted to get to, though. Um, and I've kind of gone back and forth with a couple of these folks on Twitter about these questions, but I figured I'd bring them up on the show. This one from Peter at Peter 94281808. Giants do not re-sign Golden, Marcus Golden in free agency. Giants on the clock at 36 after taking Isaiah Simmons in the first round, Lance. They have a choice between A.J. Epinesa, defensive end Iowa, and Josh Jones, offensive tackle Houston. Both are on the board at 36. You can choose one of those two players. You cannot trade down. Which one would you take and why? I would go with uh, A.J. Epinesa because I think that that would be good value for the Giants, number one, and I also think it would fill a need. Now, granted, offensive line, I think you also would argue that would fill a need too, but I'm looking at bringing in a young guy, and I remember we had Rob Howe on a few episodes ago when we were talking about Epinesa, how he didn't look that great with his combine numbers, and all of a sudden that brought his stock down. But at the same time, we also talked about how Epinesa is still extremely raw, and there's a lot of potential there. And also when you take into consideration how you can maybe move him around a bit too, I like his upside still. And, you know, there are people that are projecting him to go in the first round despite 
the issues with the combine numbers. So if he's still there at 36, I think it's good value. And I also think you're adding in a rusher to help your pass rush, which it looks like I don't think they're going to be able to make at least a big splash in free agency at this point. So if anything, the Giants are going to have to lean on the draft or maybe see if a veteran free agent is still around there well after the draft plays out. Yeah, I agree. One, I don't think both of those guys will be there. I think it's unlikely either one will be there. And I I'm with do, you. And I do think Epinesa kind of fits that Patriots Trey Flowers mode of like a yeah. power outside rusher. You know, except for Chandler Jones, and I think he was kind of the exception. The Patriots don't have like these super fast bendy guys rushing the passer, right? They got a bunch of guys that rush with hands and power and effort. And that to me is what AJ Epinesa is. And here's the problem. Assuming the Lions don't take Chase Young in the first round, Lance, which I don't think he'll be there for them at three, I cannot imagine if, let's say, they take Jeffrey Okuda, right, or trade down and take Okuda. Even Maybe the Lions take Simmons. Who knows? If A.J. Epines is sitting there, the pick before the Giants in round two, I cannot imagine him getting past Matt Patricia. Well, because he's also from that New England branch, as Bingo. you just mentioned. Yeah, it would make too much sense. Plus, here's the other thing with the Lions, and I've said this many times, and I think Brian alluded to it, but he also interestingly pointed out the fact that if the front office, Bob Quinn, the general manager, and Matt Patricia, who were not given job security beyond this season from Lions ownership, if they're saying to themselves, well, we'll bring in a guy and maybe it'll be somebody else's problem down the road, I still think they have an overwhelming amount of urgency to bring in two to three guys in the first three rounds of the draft. They're going to yeah. come in and make a significant impact who certainly don't play the quarterback position, despite the speculation yeah. that maybe they want to think about bringing in an insurance policy for Matt Stafford. So I think they're going to do everything in their power to shore up that defense, which has been hit and miss since Patricia took over. Remember, that's supposed to be his M.O. He's a defensive coach. He's been a coordinator, and I think they want to make a significant step and show some strides in that department. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did go Okuda with the first round, pick or maybe Simmons and then came back around and said, hey, you know, let's try to get a steal in the second round too. I think it makes 100% sense. Yeah, I'm with you. And look, I, I'm as much in favor of from a team build, team building perspective, adding an offensive tackle there. But look, pass rushers are just as valuable. And I frankly, I just think Epines is a better player than Jones, to be quite honest with you. So that's where I would sit with that one. Mark Breer Lance writes into me, possible trade back into, or I guess it would be a trade up into the first round for Gettleman gives the flexibility to take a different prospect at number four, not worrying about, you know, someone dropping the 36. And, and to me, generally speaking, Lance, you already do not own your th own third round pick. You have that compensatory pick in 99. So you're sitting there between pick 36 and pick 99 with like three hours of just 60 players going off the board and you're just sitting there like, oh my God, no one's left that I wanted to take. I don't think this is a draft unless you're just packaging a bunch of those extra seventh rounders you have, which frankly isn't going to get you much in terms of moving up in this draft. That's not, of course. That, that, that's not how it works, generally speaking. Uh, to me, this is a trade down draft for the Giants. This is not a trade up draft for the Giants, given how many needs they have and given that the team is still kind of in a building mode here with Dave Gettleman in year three. 
Yeah, because if you go back to last season when he made the move to trade back into the first round to get DeAndre Baker, you know, they had a lot of volume of picks. So it was a little bit different in terms of the resources that you were working with at this time last year versus this year. And, you know, part of that statement, if I heard you correctly, was, well, if you move into the first round, John, it gives you more flexibility in terms of what you're going to do at number four. I'm assuming then the mindset of, whoever sent in that question, I believe it was Mark, is that you know that you're going to move up before the draft even nah, that's starts. That's a good point, too. Right? It's a good point, too. Because how can you say it gives you flexibility number four unless you have that other first-round pick before you even pick it for? Yeah, no argument. No you argument. need to have that mindset. And I also don't like going in and saying, oh, well, we've got another first-round pick, so we can go in a completely different direction than we thought with the fourth overall pick. This is where you get too cute and you start overthinking things, John. The bottom line is you still want to go with the best possible player who gives you the best option to help your team at number four, regardless of whether or not you have another pick, let's say it's 17 or 18 or whatever it may be. Yeah, no, I'm with you. To me, this is, you want to get extra picks in this draft. Yeah. And if you can, me and Jeff talked about it all the time on Monday show. We talked about it a lot in the shows we've done together. If they can figure out a way to get a pick in that, pick, I don't know, 60 to 75 range, that would be ideal to me. I think that would help you an awful lot. Anytime that you could sneak back in when you're going to likely go, to your point, a wealth of picks without having any value because you don't have a selection, I don't think is a bad maneuver at all. And we've seen Dave Gettleman package picks to move up. I mean, clearly we're talking about the first round last year, but could they put together a package that could get them in that ballpark that you just mentioned? I don't think that's a stretch. I think that's much more manageable, John, than perhaps the hypothetical that the tweeter just laid out in terms of them moving into the first round. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. All right, let's get to the last one here. I got one more. This will be a quickie because it's about a specific player. Um, Jose at J underscore Romero 521. Wanted to bring a possible prospect at wide receiver. Colin Johnson from Texas, he had a nice senior bowl. He looks like he has good athletic abilities and thought maybe you could talk about him a little bit on Big Blue Kickoff Live and personally uh, what I think of him. Well, here's the good thing about Colin Johnson. 6'6", 222 pounds, all right? He is a large, large man. Uh, he did a real nice job at the senior bowl, um, which was, you know, I think, I wouldn't say a surprise, but heading into this year, a lot of people thought Colin Johnson was going to be one of the best senior, if not the best, senior wide receivers in this draft class. And he had some injuries this year. Um, he only had 38 catches and 559 yards as a senior. So he's someone that kind of lost a lot of production because of that limited route tree. But I think if you're looking for somebody in that day three range that can give you a little bit of that size and maybe win some jump balls and things like that, uh, I don't think he's going to get you a lot of separation but he can be that big body type of receiver that can bully ball people, be a red zone threat, and, and do those type of things for you um, if you're looking for a player on day three. I don't think he would be a day two pick. Well, if the Giants are looking for a complement to what we talk about with Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard and Darius Slay, you want that guy that basically... To use a basketball parallel, you'd put him down on the post, John, and you'd have him take advantage of guys that just can't counter his size. So he would fit that bill. He's not known as a guy with speed, though, which is what you alluded to yep. somewhat. So as far as 
what he will do outside of the red zone area. I think that would be maybe his biggest question at this point. I think that if you ran plays within a 20-yard radius, I think you'd feel good about what he could bring to the table because he has the ability with his pure size at 6'6 to just win the individual man-on-man battles and be a nice target for Daniel Jones in the area where you're about to punch it in. But my biggest question would be, if you're putting together a lengthy drive, are you going to buy him enough time with his speed limitations to get down the field for one of those home run type of throws? That, to me, I think remains to be seen. So I think you'd have to know what the expectations are if you were to bring him in. You'd want to make sure that you have speed to complement him. And I think you can make the point that the Giants already have speed on the roster. So maybe they wouldn't need him to take on that type of role. And instead, he'd be providing something that you could say maybe right now the Giants are limited in and they don't have that big, tall guy that you could say, hey, go out and win the jump ball with the exception, of course, of Evan Ingram. Yeah, I think he'd be a role player. You know what yeah, I mean? I exactly. think he's someone that you'd kind of carve out a role for him and, and, and he'd be a role player. So those are three questions. want to throw one other thing out, Lance, because uh, Daniel Jeremiah dropped his mock draft last night on the uh, Draft Night Live show, or Mock Draft Live show, rather, excuse me, on NFL Network, and he had, much like Mr. Broadus, he had Tristan Wurst from Iowa going to the Giants, so maybe there is some momentum building there uh, for Tristan Wurst. I just thought that was interesting that he had Wurst go into the Giants uh, the same way Broadus pretty much did when we spoke to him. Well, and the other thing that's interesting about his mock draft, Daniel Jeremiah, just to give our listeners an idea, he has Isaiah Simmons going 10th overall yeah. and to by the Cleveland way, Browns. He said that's a far away from the drop. It'll be great value for the Browns at 10. So remember, on his big board, I think he is Simmons right after Okuda as the th- third or I'm not sure if he's behind or ahead of Derek Brown, but he is a top five player on Jeremiah's board, I believe, or top six player. So that would be a situation where he drops to the Browns. Um, but again, just I thought it was interesting that two guys there that know something about the league, both have worked in NFL front offices yeah. before, have Tristan Wirfs uh, going to the Giants at number four. Well, and we've talked about offensive line slash Isaiah Simmons is a big part of perhaps the direction that the Giants could go in. And I think, once again, if you go in either of those directions, it makes 100% sense, and I think you're going to get good value. Interestingly, as you're talking about Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, I have NFL.com's page up, and they also have Charles Davis, Peter Schrager, and Maurice Jones-Drew, and these are constantly updated just to give an idea. Charles Davis has Isaiah Simmons. Schrager has Jedrick Wills, mm-hmm. and MJD has Derek Brown. So they've all gone in four different directions for the Giants Wait, at did, the fourth overall Did pick. MJD update his mock draft? The last one I looked at from MJD, I thought maybe he was having a little too much fun before he uh, posted <laughs> the mock draft up. And the last one I saw had the Giants trading up the third overall and taking Chase Young. Did he you change know what? That I stand up? corrected. You are right. I misread that. I was looking across. Yes, in this draft, he has that exact scenario. He has the Lions and the Giants switching spots. And by the way, he is Herbert going first overall, and Tua, what, Tua going second, right? Tua Some going crazy. second, Yeah, correct. so he is Joe Burrow dropping to, like, what, five? Yeah, Burrow <laughs> drops five to the Dolphins. And if you would have told <laughs> Brian Flores and company that that's going to happen, they'd sit back right now and sip on margaritas. Yes. Okay? Yes. Because they'd be— Besides themselves. But just for clarification, the Tua 
acquisition at number two is a trade between the Redskins and the Chargers. So as the Chargers moving up to two and the Redskins falling to six to grab Isaiah Simmons at six, by the way. All right, final question. And by the way, I should plug it. We're going to have our first uh, Big Blue kickoff live mock draft on Friday with Lance Detino and I. So stay tuned for that. We'll have a guest the first half of the show. Then we'll welcome Lance in for the second half and for the last, you know, you know, 30, 40 minutes. We'll, we'll go through the 36 picks leading up to the Giants' second-round pick. Uh, we'll go through them quick. We don't want to spend too much time on each selection, but we will, we will do that on Friday's show. So that should be a lot of fun. And remember, folks, if you want to get your questions right on the show, you can send them in the hashtag GiantsChat or just send them to, you know, Lance Paul's or, or my Twitter feeds. You can do either one. We'll read them off of Twitter. But for those of you not on Twitter, you can go to Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions, and you can get in your questions that way. Again, it's Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. Mr. Meadow, I'll give you the last word. Well, no, I think that uh, Brian Broadess covered a lot. I was very blown away by some of the uh, things he had to say. So I I think that it was extremely insightful, especially, you know, one of the things we didn't get into here real quick, John, not to elongate the show, but I thought some of the things he said about Jason Garrett's offense and his takeaways with respect to the current roster were just as insightful and interesting as with respect to the draft. And that shouldn't be overlooked by our listeners as well, especially if they're looking for little hints about what's going to happen with the Giants roster and how it will be constructed on offense. Yeah, I'm with you. And great great stuff on uh, Mark Colombo as well yeah, and, and, exactly. and on Cameron Fleming. Lance, good stuff, my friend. We will talk to you on Friday when we do a little mocking of our own bad picks in our first mock draft. <laughs> Sounds good. All it means is we are inching closer to the draft, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, as of uh, tomorrow, of course, this is Wednesday's show. So as of Thursday, we are literally two weeks away from uh, draft night on April 23rd. It's going to go on as planned, folks. So we'll be the only uh, scene in town with a lot to talk about. So make sure you tune in to Big Blue Kickoff Live for the next two weeks as we continue to get you ready uh, for the NFL draft. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmoke. Thanks for being with us, everybody. We'll see you next time. Stay safe, and we'll see you then.